Okay, take your Bibles this morning and turn back to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. This will be the fourth message in this series on Ephesians chapter 2. This one is entitled, Made Nigh by the Blood. This will be part four. As children of the living God, those chosen by a sovereign, omnipotent God before the foundation of the world, and the thing that continually keeps rattling around in this little pea brain that I got is this, that he chose us in Christ before we had done any good or any evil. That's just, for, for reasons known only unto himself. I mean, I, we say this all the time. I don't know why he chose me. And that sounds, it sounds humble, but listen, he did. He chose you. If, 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 you're, if you rest in Christ this morning as the Lord your righteousness, the only reason you do is because he set his love on you and chose you out of a multitude, and I used to say of a multi, multitude of guilty, hell-deserving sinners, according to what Romans 9 says, he just chose you out, out of a mass of humanity of all the creatures that would ever be created and set his love on you and determined to do everything to bring you to be with him. That's, that's what our salvation rests upon. It doesn't rest on, on what I am or what I'm doing or what I might become. It rests on God's purpose, on what he determined to do. But you think about that. That God chose me before I'd done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. See, that's it. It's based on his calling. That same God who set his love on us in the person of his son determined to send forth his son in the fullness of time, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem those, his people, out from underneath the curse of the law. Then in time, in each successive generation, he sent forth the spirit of his son. He sends him into our heart because you are sons. Paul wrote to those at Galatians, he said, because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts. It's not, Jesus, will you save me? You weren't sitting there one day and felt guilty about something that you did or did not do and then made a decision. Folks, we'd have never even called out. He sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. And who cries? Not me. Well, I do, but who, why do I cry? The Spirit cries what? The Spirit of His Son cries, Abba, Father. That's why it, it comes back to that same thing. It always boils back down to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 through 21. If any man be in Christ... New creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, we've already seen by nature what were we? We're children of wrath, even as others. By nature, what are we? We were enemies in our minds by wicked works. It doesn't mean we were the most immoral, ungodly people on the earth, but it means we were, we were going about, even if it does include those ungodly, immoral people. But what were, how were we enemies in our minds? We were enemies in our minds by wicked works. And I remember when they told me in false religion, all those wicked works, what were they? Getting drunk, 
being a fornicator, being a liar or a cheater or, or cheating on your spouse, you know, all, all those things. That, those are wicked works now, but it, it's specific. We were enemies in our minds by wicked works. How was Paul an enemy in his mind by wicked works? Never thought about that? See, make this thing, bring it down to people that have a, have a religious past. And those of us who had a deep religious past, you, you, past, you know exactly what I'm talking about. What, what, was the, what were the wicked works Paul was doing? He tells you in Philippians 3. What was he? Concerning the righteousness which was in the law, required by the law, what, what did he think of himself? I was blameless. So what were the wicked works? <laughs> when he cried out, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me? Uh, uh, o wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body, the body of this death? What was the body of his death? For each of us, it's different. For him, I think it was specifically the fact that he had such a religious background. Because when you've got a religious background, you know what happens when you get into sin? What happened? You have a tendency to revert to old ways and fall back into old paths. And the first thing you start doing, you start counting yourself. Maybe I'm not a child of God because. Well, let me ask you this. How did you become a child of God to begin with? What did you do that put you into the family of God? So if you didn't do anything to put yourself into the family of God, let me ask you this. What can you do to get yourself out of the family of God? Now, I know people say, oh, you can't talk like that, preacher. You can't tell people that. That's what we need to be told. We must, by God's grace, rest exclusively at all times in every situation, every circumstance we find ourselves in. Where do we rest? Here it is, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. What do we rest in? Christ, right. If I sin grievously against my God, how am I going to find relief in my guilty conscience? You ever done that? <laughs> you ever, have you, well, I know we have. What takes away the guilt? What restores our fellowship? Our tears of remorse? Our promises to do better? Our actually doing better? Is that what restores the fellowship? That's what I used to think when I was lost. If I sinned, what I had, I had to make it up. It, it, it's like that, that balance, that scale. And we think when we do bad, what the scale bottoms out this way. So what do we need to do? We need to stack up whatever we consider good to pull the thing back. Folks, as simply as I can put it, put it, that's nothing but work salvation. That's going about to establish a righteousness on your own. Now, should we be moral men and women? Should we love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength? Should we seek to love our neighbor, which includes our enemy as ourselves? Certainly. Huh? 
We should strive by the grace of God to do that as well as we can. But when we've done the best we can possibly do, we're to cry what? We are unprofitable servants. We've only done that which was our duty. It's by grace. It's through faith. And that faith you don't even get from yourself. What is it? He's already told us it's the gift of God. Not of works. Hear that? Can it be any more clear than that? Not of works. Because here's the thing. When works come into it, what do we do? Lest any man should, what? Boast. Because if any of it's on me, the tendency of man is always to do what? Boast about what he's done. Even if he doesn't boast outwardly, boast inwardly. All of them do. But he's went on, we, we, we got down, we made our way down, we'd finished up a couple of weeks ago, we'd got partially through verse 18. I want to go back there and pick up this morning in verse 18. But from what we've seen through all these previous verses, Paul has made it clear. Now, this is so important to you and me as God's children. He's made it clear that this gospel is to be preached to who? What did our Lord say? Go ye therefore and teach all nations. He said this gospel should be preached to where? To the whole world. So this gospel is to be preached to all men and women without exception. It's to be preached not only to the Jews, but who's it to be preached to? To the Gentiles, who he has already told us, they were afar off. What were they afar off from? Any of that old covenant. Now you keep that in mind. Those Gentiles, he's already said they were with it. But before the Lord showed mercy and grace to them, he said they were without God. Right? He said they were strangers, they were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. Let me give you a good illustration there. There was a woman that had a bad reputation that was going to a well in Samaria that was a sinner indeed. Well, why didn't God just zap her down there and bring her to true faith? What did he do? What did, how, did, how, does, how does John 4 start? He must needs go through Samaria. Why, must he, why was it necessary that he go to Samaria? He tells us over in John chapter 10, other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also... I must bring. So he goes to Samaria. And I'm telling you, I guarantee you there was more than one well in Samaria. But he goes to this well at this exact time. You tell me our God isn't a God of small things, a God of intricate details. Say she had sprained her ankle that day. There's no way. The destiny was what? She was going to meet her salvation at that well that day. And he comes there and he speaks to her. Right? And she says, you know, 
She goes through great detail. She knew Messiah was coming. Didn't know anything about him. Our Lord looked at her and said, salvation, what is it? it's of the Jew, right? But then he made an interesting statement to, me, to her. He said, the time is coming, and now he is. What are they going to do? The dead's going to hear the voice of the Son of God, right? And she heard. Not all this she heard. You think about the, a stranger at a well, and our Lord looks at this woman, and he says to her, Where's your husband? <laughs> she owed him nothing. If somebody came up to you and asked you just out of the blue, where's your, where's your wife? You don't know him, a total stranger to you. Ask where's your wife. You might think that they want to kidnap them. You want to do harm to your family. What would you do? Probably wouldn't answer. They, she could have turned and walked away. And yet to a total stranger that she does not know, has never met before, when he asked her, where's your husband, what does she do? She could have lied. What did she say? I ain't got one. <laughs> Honesty. What's going on here? He says, when he, this is our Lord Jesus Christ, he said, well, after I go away, I'm going to send another comforter. And it's another comforter, which is the Holy Ghost. When he comes, he's going to do the same thing Christ did. He reproves the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment to come. What does he do with this woman? He reproves her of sin. Speaks to her of righteousness. Talks about judgment to come. God saves his people the same way in every generation. All the way back to our parents in the garden, Adam and Eve. Yet our Lord reveals himself to her and in her, and what does she do? She forgets about the most thing she was, the thing she was out there to do, to get water. She, it says that she left her water pot and went back into the city and told the men. She didn't go to the women, she told the men. I, and I think that's significant too, why she told the men. Probably the men that, this, this woman was a woman of ill repute. Because our Lord said that one, you know, the first one wasn't your husband, the second one the one you're with now is not your husband. She goes back and says, come see a man that told me all things that ever I've done. Is not this the very Christ? And they went out too. They didn't, they didn't believe for her word. They went out and heard for themselves. And they said, because we heard with our own ears. What do we... We believe that thou art truly the Christ, the Son of the living God. None of that happened on purpose. This is Gentiles. This is unheard of. The Jews thought, who? God was only dealing with one group of people. Jews, you think about it, they, they were brought nigh by the Mosaic law, were they not? But for the most part, none of most of them weren't saved. They were moral. They were sincere. They practiced the covenant according to God's clear-cut command. But what did they do? They missed the Christ of glory. They chose the type over the fulfillment of the type. They were content with the form instead of the one who set it all aside by way of perfect fulfillment. 
But the thing of it is, both the, the Jews by nature as well as the Gentiles by nature alienated in their minds by wicked works and personally were at enmity against God. Who, who killed God's Christ? The people that practiced the Mosaic law. And yet, in my generation, and several generations before, <clears throat> what did they want in this? What do they want back in the schools now? Huh? Religious people, what do they want? What do they want to put back in the school? The Ten Commandments. These people had the Ten Commandments, claimed to be keeping the Ten Commandments, and our Lord told them, and they ultimately accomplished what they wanted to do. But in accomplishing what they wanted to do, they did what God had purposed for them to do. They kill God's Christ. And that's what Stephen looked at him when he preached the gospel of the Jews. He said, you killed the Lord of glory. You did. Had the law. Had the commandments. Had the priesthood. Had the temple. All the sacrifices. And hated the one that those things pointed to. See, the Jew had nothing to boast of by way of having anything to recommend themselves to God over the Gentiles. All who are saved, they have to come to God as a just God and a Savior based on the merits of the obedience and the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. All, both Jew and Gentile, what do they have to do? They have to repent of former idolatry. Now think about that. The Jew had to repent of former idolatry. Paul had to turn his back. Saul of Tarsus had to turn his back on his idolatry. Now think about that. His idolatry. Well, Paul wasn't worshiping Allah. He, he wasn't bound down to a little green Buddha doll or some other form of a deity. He wasn't serving Dagon or any of those other false gods. Who did he claim he was serving? Jehovah. And yet it was idolatry because it was the Jehovah of his imagination. It was a Jehovah that's not set forth by this book. Notice here in verse 18 what he says here. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Who? Both Jew and Gentile. All of us. What do we have? We have all have access to the Father. How? Through the Son. You think about this. Access to God the Father is through God the Son incarnate based on his righteousness alone by the regenerating power of the God, the Holy Spirit, who draws you and me nigh by the word of God. Jesus said unto the Jews one time, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And listen to this, no man comes to the Father but one way, by me, through the Son. That Greek word in our text, access, it describes a special privilege of communion with God based on the work of Christ through the Holy Spirit. When you look at the little word access, it means to lead 
are to bring, or here's, here's the best definition of it, to make one acceptable unto God. We have act, we've been made acceptable unto God. Now, how can you do that? You tell me what you can do. What efforts you can perform, including your faith, that can make you acceptable to God. Do you have perfect faith? Because, see, that's the thing. We're dealing with a perfect God that demands perfection. In a forensic legal sense, and you can look this up, it means to summons, now listen, to summons either to trial or to punishment. You know, in our society, you get summons to serve in jury duty or you get summons to appear in court or you get summons, you have a speeding ticket, you're either going to pay the ticket or where you're summons to court. You don't show up in court, what happens? He'll issue a court order to come arrest you. You don't have an option in this thing. When the power that be summons you, what do you do? You are required to respond. Psalm 110 verse 3 tells us, Thy people shall be made willing made willing in the day of thy power. Here's the same word Paul wrote to those at Rome. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have, here's the same word, access, by faith, into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Peter used the same word. He said, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that, and here's the same word, translated access in our word, that, here's the word, he might bring us. <laughs> You don't come to the Lord. <laughs> I know that's foreign to religious people. They, they, everybody, won't you come to Christ? Billy Graham formulated that thing. We're going to stand up and we're going to play 10,000 verses just as I am, come to the Lord. And yet that, that is totally contrary to what the Scriptures say. No man can come to me. Huh? None seeks after God, Romans 3. They're all gone out of the way. They're all become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. I, we cannot and we will not come to God. But Christ, what does he do? He brings us. You hear me? He brings us to God. How did he bring us? Being put to death in the flesh and quickened by the Spirit. That's how, it required what? Christ alone. In its, in its entirety. Paul made it very clear, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to every man that believeth. And if you don't have it written down in your Bible, write it down now. That, ver that word, the end, Christ is the end of the law, it's teleos is the Greek word. And it's the same word that our Lord spoke on the cross. It's, it's three English words. What did he say? It is finished. 
Christ is the end. It is finished of the law for righteousness to every man that believes. Look at verse 19. Now, therefore, because of that, because he's, he summons us to himself, he's brought us to God through his obedience unto death. Now, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners. Well, that's descriptive language of the Gentile, you and me included. We're strangers, no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with saints in the household of God. You know what this is? This is a, this is a summary of everything the apostle had written concerning the church collectively, made up of both who? Jew and Gentile. The true Israel of God. In essence, what, what we see here in verse 19, it's, it's kind of like a before and after picture of the Gentile believers concerning their status before, their status in, within the body of Christ. You see, that was the thing. Is the Jews still in their mind, if a Gentile claimed to believe, they were having trouble with it, what they think? You might be saved, but we're better, because what are we? We're Jews. Even John was still dealing with that in 1 John. That's why he kept using the word world. He is a propitiation not for our sins only, the Jews, but who, who else did he propitiate for? The sin of the world. The Gentile. His people in every generation. In verse 19, he shows that, that, that they, they had come from being strangers and foreigners to being fellow citizens in God's family. That word translated no more, you know what it means? It means no longer. The word translated strangers means alien, and I like this, without knowledge of, <laughs> they're strangers, without knowledge of or without a share in. And that word translated foreigners means without citizenship in the kingdom of God. So you think of that, these elect sinners, these Gentiles, by nature, while they were unregenerated, they were without any knowledge of God's kingdom, and they had no share in it. But God, God by the Apostle Paul, what does he tell them? No longer. No longer. You're not in this situation. He tells them, and he tells you and me, that what are we right now? We are fellow citizens with the saints and with the household of God. That word fellow citizens in the original it means possessing the same citizenship with others. Paul said to those at Philippi, for our citizenship is where? In heaven. In heaven. Even nowhere on the earth. You think about it. They had come from being ungodly idolaters to being justified saints. Again, these Gentile believers who before were alienated in their mind, enemies by wicked works. They're equally sanctified. They're equally justified. They're equally saved. They're equally sure for heaven as any Jewish believer. Just the same. This is what Paul told those believers at Galatia. 
For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ, and that's not talking about water baptism. It's talking about regeneration and conversion. And God the Holy Spirit causes us to be born again. When the wind blows, spirit like the, when spirit like the wind blows where it lists, and you hear the sound there, you can't tell where it's coming from or where it's going. When the Spirit regenerates us is what he's talking about us here. Baptized into Christ, what have we done? We put on Christ. Now listen to this. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither bond nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one. One where? In Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ's, and we are, now he's already told us that we've been baptized into Christ. If you're Christ, then are you, now listen to this, you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. I don't have any physical Jewish lineage. Maybe you could, I don't know, maybe maybe you went to Ancestry.com. It seems to always trace me back to either England or Ireland or, or Scotland somewhere over there. I don't ever see anything connecting me down there to the, to the, to the Levites down in Israel. I don't have it. I can't, I can't find any Jewish heritage. But when you think about it, where, where was Abraham's Jewish heritage? Huh? What was Abram? There was no Jews. What was he? He was a heathen, idolater, in a foreign land in Ur Chaldee. And God called him out and gave him a promise. He told him, Your seed shall be as the sand of the seashore. And they are. Paul told those at Rome, For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly. Neither circumcision, which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew that is one inwardly. And circumcision is that where? It's of the heart. What's that? That's regeneration and conversion. In the spirit, not in the letter, not in the law. Whose praise is not of men, because that's what the law did. They, they, the Jews looked at one another and praised one another. Remember the, the Pharisees widened their phylacteries, prayed long prayers, and our Lord, what did he say to Woe unto you, Pharisee, hypocrites. The praise is not of men. It doesn't matter what men have to say about me. How does God view me? How does God view you this morning? Are you righteous? That's, that's the long and the short of it. If I don't have a righteousness that satisfies God's infinite law and justice, I'm damned, Kenny. I, I, I do. I read that. You ought, to, you ought to bookmark that. It's on the Internet. I have it saved on my computer. You need to read that by William Gadsby every once in a while. I read it repeatedly. That, that it's from a sermon. I found the whole sermon, and it's a book. The sermon's a book. But in that, he talks about that we must have a righteousness in which God himself cannot find a flaw. You see, the best one that I got that I can produce, it's like Swiss cheese. 
It's shot full of holes, is it not? Now, I know some men and women think they got one. And I know I used to think I had one. Because I know I've said this from this pulpit. I thought, now this 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 way I thought when I was back out at Heiko, Sally. I thought that I was the only one saved and everybody else was suspect. Including my wife. Because I thought she don't study like I do. She don't pray like I do. She don't do what I do. Like this matters. It, it's important. This is important food for our souls, comfort, our encouragement for the calling out of God's elect. But listen, this don't make me saved. That's horrible English, but it's the truth. The only hope I have is the only hope you have. It's in a righteousness I have no part in producing or maintaining, one produced in my name and in my nature by my God-appointed substitute, surety, redeemer, and savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. And all we're doing is what do we do? We stand up here every Sunday, every Sunday morning, every time we get an opportunity, we're going to, we're going to tell you about this righteousness. That's all I got. I got nothing else. I've had people tell me, you put too much emphasis on the righteousness of God. Can you put too much emphasis on that? That's all you got to say. We've tried to cover, every time we've gone through a book, I've never, over, I've never jumped over any verse. Have I? And I won't. And there's a lot of things that we should do. But none of it should be done or should be taught out from underneath the auspices that in Christ we have been made the righteousness of God in Him before we do anything. Because it always comes back not by works of righteousness which we have done. We do works of righteousness. We do. But it's not by those works. It's by His righteousness alone. Look at verse 20 and are built upon, this is where we're at, and we're fellow citizens in the household of God. And we're built upon what? The foundation of the apostles and the prophets. What's that? What they preached. Where'd our gospel come from? See, Paul's telling us here, what's, what's the ground or the reason or the hope of this fellowship and association and friendship and citizenship we have with God's children? What is it? It's, not, it's not, the, not the Mosaic Law. Because if it's the Mosaic Law, we need to find somewhere at... Well, you can't do it here. Because <laughs> it has to be in Jerusalem. That temple had to be where? But we better be sacrificing some lambs. And you ladies better not cook today. You better have it pre-cooked. You better not clean it up. Don't work in your yard. <laughs> Don't do anything. See, it, it's the rule of faith is what? For the New Testament church. It's not the law. It's the gospel. And all the precepts of the new covenant. How The just, the righteous, because that's what we are. See, that's the thing. Before we obey God at all, what are we? We're righteous. Isn't that an amazing thing? 
You know yourself. You know your own heart. Don't know it like we, we should know it. But in Christ, what are you? We're righteous. We're accepted in the beloved. You think about this. A, a new order. An entirely new system of ordinances and worship is revealed and declared where? In the gospel economy. And all things for which believers under the new covenant are responsible, you know where they reveal that? Not in the Old Testament. Where? In the New Testament. He tells New Testament believers, quit lying to each other. Don't steal from one another. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. He tells us in the New Testament, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. He says, a new commandment I write unto you, our Lord did, what? That you love one another. Who? Brethren. It's not specifically talking about our love and relationship to all men without exception, but who do we love? We love the brethren. We know we've passed from death into life in that we do what? We love the brethren. to any Jew who would seek to bring back the ordinance of the Mosaic law and bind them on the New Testament church, they'd be wrong. Matter of fact, it'd be heretical. But that's exactly what those Pharisees were doing. I don't have time to read it, but write down Acts chapter 15, verse 5 through 7. Go read that this afternoon. That was at the council in Jerusalem. And after a long while, Peter stood up and he looked at him and he told him, he said, why tempt ye to put a yoke on the Gentiles that neither, listen to this, this is Peter, that neither we nor our fathers could bear. Peter knew. I couldn't do it. It's impossible. And you keep this in mind. Anybody who taught that the observance of the law would make a believer more holy or more fit for heaven, they'd be wrong. And to do so, you know what they do? They deny the gospel. Galatians 5, or Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 through 3, Paul says, if you be circumcised, and he was circumcised, he's talking about if you think that circumcision makes you more saved, more holy, more fit, more qualified, more entitled to glory, Christ will profit you nothing. If you're circumcised, what are you responsible to do? Verse 3 says, you got to keep the whole law. Tell me ye that desire to be under the law, don't you hear the law? Verse 21 and 22. In whom all the building fitly framed together groweth, Unto a whole unholy temple in the Lord. And how they how are they a holy temple? Not in themselves. Where? In the Lord. Isaiah says, In the Lord, surely shall one say, In the Lord have I righteousness and strength. In whom you also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. In these, these two verses, Paul shows how collectively. The church in its entirety from Adam in the garden to the last person to be in it. What are we? We're the temple of the Lord. We're his church. 
And listen, there's, there, there's no longer a separated entity. There's no longer Jew and Gentile, male or female, rich or poor, what are we? We're all one in Christ Jesus, one unified body. And in verse 22, the emphasis is that these Gentiles are just as much members of the body of Christ, which is the habitation of God, as any Jew ever was, himself included. And they become members of this body, how? Through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. The setting apart, regeneration and conversion, belief of the truth, what is that? That's actually our conversion. Christ redeemed the Gentile and the Jew. He justified them. He called them. And he'll glorify them all based on the same exact righteousness. Nobody under the law was saved by their obedience to the law. They were saved based on what that law pointed them to. They were read, listen, Moses' hope was my hope. Noah's hope was our hope. <laughs> Adam's hope was what? In a lamb. <laughs> Abraham, the father of the faithful. Remember what he said to his son? He said, Daddy, I got the wood. You got the fire. Where's the lamb? Where's the lamb? He knew. He'd been taught. What do you got to have? You got to have a lamb. A sin bearer. And he looked at him and he said, The Lord will provide himself a lamb. Huh? And he called the name of that place what? Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Now we'll stop right there and we'll come back and pick up chapter 3 next week. You're dismissed to the worst fire. I appreciate your presence this morning.